It's exciting having church, isn't it? Amen. Amen. Now, I, I never want to miss an opportunity to kind of talk about public events and current events here, too. Obviously, we're all very aware that uh, in two weeks and two days, we're going to have a presidential election. You know, I'm, sh- I'm sure you've heard these uh, questions as well, but the two biggest questions I hear all the time is, uh, should I vote? Should I go out and vote? I don't feel like voting because I don't like the people running, whatever it might be. And then I also hear the question, who should I vote for? And uh, I want to go back in the Bible. And I want to try best I can this morning based on God's holy word. The answers to those two questions, should I vote and who should I vote for? First of all, we're going to go, should I vote? We're going to go back to the Old Testament. If you look at the Old Testament and understand how God put all that together and how the Israelites were God's chosen people, God had a very specific chosen language. He could have picked English. He could have picked French. He could have picked Spanish. You know what language you picked, right? You Bible scholars, it was Hebrew. He picked the language of Hebrew. And I want to tell you this morning, there's certain words that are not found in the Hebrew language. I don't know if you know this or not. If you've studied Hebrew, there's probably a few out here that have taken those classes. And uh, I understand that Hebrew is probably one of the two most difficult languages to learn, Japanese being the other one out there with it. But let me share a couple of words that you do not find in the Hebrew language. Coincidence. There's no word in the Hebrew language for a coincidence. Why? Because there are no coincidences from God's perspective. It's all from God. How about this word? The word retirement. Retirement's not found in the Hebrew language either. Why? Because none of us ever retire from doing God's work. No matter how old we get, God has a calling upon our life that begins when we're born and ends when we go to our home and retire to heaven someday. Another word that you will not find in the Hebrew language is fair. It's not fair. Well, think about this. Was it fair for Job? Was it fair for Joseph? How about this? Was it fair for Jesus? No. You will not find the word fair. You also will not find the word rights in the Holy Bible in Hebrew. You know the word the Hebrews use and God put in the Hebrew language? Responsibility. Responsibility. I want you to think about Matthew 25 and Luke 19. You see and you read about the parable of the talents. Remember that story? That God had three men. That uh, the uh, master had three men and he was leaving on a trip and he gave each of the men different amounts of talents. One of them he gave five talents to. One of them he gave two and one of them gave one. We know that story. Well, the two that had five and two, they went out there and they used the blessings God had given them, and they multiplied the blessings. They were responsible with what they'd been given. There was one, though, that was just given one based on his abilities. And all he did was his is sit on it. He did not use the blessing that God had given him to multiply it. When the master got back, he looked at those first two, the one that had five and the one that had two that had multiplied their talents. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many things. No nation has ever been blessed in a greater way than America. No people have ever received more blessings. All you need to do is travel around the world for just a few moments and realize America truly is blessed. With all our problems, it is still, listen very carefully, the greatest nation on the world. You and I have been blessed. Why? To be a blessing. 
We've also been blessed to be responsible. God has blessed America, and you and I have responsibilities. I want you to ponder this thought for just a second, and then we'll talk about question number two. I am not American because of my ancestry. You are not an American because of your ancestry. You are an American today because before you were formed in your mother's womb, God set you apart to be in this nation at this time, to serve Him and Him alone, to bring glory to Him, to lift His name on high, to make this nation Christian once again. I've shared over and over the biggest problems we have in America are not coming out of the Congress, not coming out of the White House, not coming out of the Supreme Court. They're coming out of the church house because you and I are not doing what God's called us to do. You know as well as I do, since I've been the pastor of this church, I've always shared that thought, that you and I have a very specific mission. We've always had the same mission from day one when I walked in this church. It's to bring glory to God. It's to live our lives in such a way that we become light and salt to this world. That God sees you and he sees you and I and he realizes that, he, that people see there's something different about that person. I want that. How would you get that? I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you. God has put here us. He's put you and I here for a very specific purpose. Don't miss this little thought this morning. You and I cannot be a conscientious objectors to the purpose that God has called us to be. God has called us out. If we claim the name of Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we have a very specific mission and purpose. And I believe with all my heart there's never been a greater time for you and I to live out that purpose. Question number two, who should I vote for? Well, let me kind of give you a little clarification on that initially. It's not who do I vote for, what do I vote for? It's not who do I vote for, what do I vote for? Don't miss this thought this morning either. There's never been a perfect man or woman run for President of the United States. They are all, listen very carefully, they're all flawed individuals. They really are. Proverbs 14.34 says this, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. If you look at the history of the Bible, but if you also look at the history since the writing of the Bible and the canonization of the Bible, there have been good kings that have done bad things. There's been bad kings that have done good things. I want to share three biblical thoughts for you and I to consider this year as we go to the ballot. I want you to hear this. There was more than 46 million evangelicals that did not vote in the last election. More than 46. People have different numbers. It's all in that area there. The last one I heard, 46 million evangelicals did not vote. The last presidential election was decided by 5 million votes. What's wrong with that picture? There's three thoughts here about you and I deciding who we should vote for. First of all, Supreme Court justices. Isaiah chapter 1, God is laying out the nation of Israel as a very degenerate society. And he says this, He says, how the faithful city has become a harlot. He's talking about the nation of Israel. It was full of justice. Righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. It says about the nation, God says about the nation of Israel, your silver has become dross. What does that mean? It's just waste. Everything that was precious has now come to waste. But then God says this. Don't you love it when God says, but, but. God says, I will restore your judges as at the first. Afterwards, you should be called a city of righteousness and a faithful city. 
God right here in the nation of Israel is telling them, listen, we're going to restore some things, and one of those things we're going to restore is justices that understand truth, that understand God's law, that understands justice, and doesn't have their own personal agenda, but they stand for the masses. They stand for others. They stand for something bigger than themselves. Thought number two about what we need to vote about. Israel. Genesis 3, we see God tell Abraham, I will bless those that bless you. I will curse you that curse them. That I will curse them that curse you. We need to get Israel right again. It's God's chosen people. We need to stand with them, and there's no doubt in the whole rest of the world that America, because it's a Christian nation, stands with Israel. Why? Because God's word tells us to. Finally, in Exodus, God lays out 631 laws for the nation of Israel. 631 laws. I might be able to tell you about three or four of them. But then he made a covenant with the nation of Israel. And he gave them ten very specific laws. You know them today as the Ten Commandments. I want you to know that there's three commandments on the ballot this year, on November 8th. The first one, it's the first five commandments. All of them lumped together. The first five commandments of the Ten Commandments talk about our relationship with God. They talk about God. You know what's going on in America as well as I do. There's people out there, unfortunately, many people in power that no longer want God anywhere to be in the public square. They don't want God to have anything to do with the nation. Listen, the only reason this nation is great, the only reason this nation has been here for 235 years, 240 years, I'm sorry, is because of God. God did that. Because our founders founded this nation on godly principles. The second commandment that is on the ballot this year is thou shalt not kill. It's talking about the sanctity of life. It's talking about the holocaust of killing babies in America today. The third thing, the third commandment that's on the ballot this year is thou shalt not commit adultery. It's talking here about the sanctity of marriage, but also, what is marriage? We made the, uh, made the comment last summer when they passed that horrible thing out of the Supreme Court that same-sex marriage is an oxymoron. What does that mean? <laughs> it's a contradiction in terms. Marriage is between a man and woman. But also, unfortunately in America today, there's an incredible force at work, the enemy, to perpetuate and forward sexual perversion. That's on the ballot this year. Blessed is the nation whose God is Lord. I want you to know with all my heart this morning, and I don't want you to miss this thought this morning, all of our problems in America aren't political, okay? They're spiritual. There's a spiritual vacuum. There's a spiritual void in America today. Why? Because the churches have not done what we've been called out to do. And I don't want to make you feel bad, or maybe just a little bit, just enough to say, hey, okay, we can turn this thing around. We can turn this thing around. You know why? If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, listen, I will forgive their sins and heal their land. That's God's promise to you and I. Way back then, thousands of years old, His promise. God is a promise keeper. 
God tells us if we get serious and pray, if we get serious and do the things that he's asked us to do, we can see God turn our nation around. I can't do it. This church can't do it. But God can do it. But God's waiting for this church to get serious about praying and about returning to him. I picked a scripture this morning. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, that was just a warm-up for my sermon here, guys. I'm about ready to get excited here this morning. Give your Bible a sermon with me, if you will. This is 1 Samuel 7, verses 1 through 4. We're talking this morning about God returning to his people. God has never left us. Listen very carefully. We've left him. You ever wake up one morning in your life and realize, I don't feel that close to God? God's not the one that moved. We're the ones that moved. God is challenging the nation of Israel here to return to him. If you find your way to 1 Samuel verse, uh, chapter 7, we're just going to read the first four verses as you stand this morning out of reverence and respect to the reading of God's holy word. Let me throw this out there before we start reading. I want you to keep your finger in 1 Samuel because you're going to be looking at all kinds of verses here in and around 1 Samuel 7. Verse 7, chapter, chapter 7, verse 1. And then the men of um, Kerath-Jerim came and took the ark, ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Benadab on the hill and consecrated Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. So it was that the ark remained in Kerath-Jerim a long time. It was there 20 years and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the Athros from among you and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the children of Israel put away the Baals and the Asherahs and served the Lord only. Let's pray. Father, remove the distractions from our mind. Father, I pray right now, Lord, that there is a word in this word, Father, in your Holy Scripture, Father, that has each and every person's name on it in this room. Father, speak to our hearts this morning, Father, that we all might be changed yet again for eternity. Father, that we might grow in just these few moments, Father, because we see you speaking something with our name on it. Father, we thank you now once again for this time. I thank you for each person in this room. Father, meet us where we're at and speak to our hearts, Father. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, this is a story about revival. It's a story about God returning to his people. What is revival? Revival is a manifestation, showing, and presence of God in people's lives. It's God coming down and showing himself strong in people's lives, in the lives of a church. But listen very carefully. It begins in the life of each and every one of us. It doesn't, it doesn't begin in a big group. It begins in my life, in your life. God ignites a fire that might not have been there before, a fire that might have gone dim, a fire that needs stoking, a fire that needs maybe a can of gasoline poured on top of it. But God desires to come down. This was a great time of pain and suffering for the nation of Israel. Ponder for just a second where this book finds itself in the chronology of the book of the Bible. It comes after the book of Judges. The book of the Judges was one of the toughest, most horrible books in all the Bible about people's relationships with God. It was a book of chaos. It was a book of horrible, horrible times. Why? Because there was no king in those days, and the people did as they wanted to do in their own heart. As they, it, was, it was a very early showing of human secularism. There is no truth. I don't need absolute truth. I don't need a God. Why? Because I'm God. There was a horrible, horrible time in the nation of Israel. 
and uh, add insult to injury. The Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, as you know, represented the presence of God. It held the Ten Commandments. When the Ark of the Covenant was around, you realized God's presence here with me. The Ark of the Covenant had been stolen by the Philistines. It was no longer there. So subsequently, the people felt like, well, the presence of God isn't here anymore. He was, but that's what they felt. 1 Samuel 3, 1, just a few chapters before this, says this, And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. You know, more than just the word of the Lord, there was no word from God. The people weren't listening. The people didn't have their affections set on heaven. The people had not turned their hearts to God. You know, we come to church and we hear a word of God. And we might like that. But we need to begin coming to church and coming to Sunday school and getting into our Holy Bible during the week and saying, God, I want a word from you. God, give me a word today out of my Bible here. Give me a word today out of church today that has my name, Gary, on it. Because, God, I want something that you say directly to me. You know what? God wants to do that. God wants to speak to each and every one of us. There was a great breach still and a great distance right now between God and the people of Israel. Let me share this thought. There's a great breach and a distance between God and the people of America right now. God's not doing a whole lot of talking right now in America because people aren't listening. I was on my cell phone the other day having a discussion with my daughter who lives in Nashville. Having a great conversation and all of a sudden went dead. I said, uh-oh. I wonder if she went into a bad area or I went into a bad area. I flipped my phone over and realized I was out of power. I hadn't recharged my phone. I'd been talking so much or doing whatever I was doing on that phone so much, I'd lost all the power that was in that phone. I had to go rehook it back up to the power. I'd been away from the source of power so I could no longer communicate with God. What's going on in America today? We've all moved so far away from God that we can't communicate. We don't have a direct line of communication because we're away from the power source. God desires for you and I to stay in the power source, for you and I to live in the power source, for you and I to converse with God every single day, every single moment, to have an incredible experience with God. Why? Because I'm talking to Him all day long. How do I know that God's alive? Because I talked to Him this morning. How do I know that Jesus Christ rose from the grave and lives in heaven today? Because I talked to Him this morning. I have that power source. We need to hook ourselves back up the power source. In this land today, many of us, if not all of us, need a fresh touch and a fresh word from God Almighty. We need that. We can get so busy going along in our life. We can get so excited about our life and do all the things we do in our lives. And many of those things are good. But they're not good when all those things edge God out of our life. If you were to honestly this morning look at your heart, evaluate your mind and say, Hey, God, are you really number one in my life? I don't want to hear your answers. I'll be honest with you. I confess as a pastor. There's moments in my life when I kind of edge them over the side and get going on this direction here. All of a sudden I realize, oh my gosh, wait a minute. I didn't have my conversation. I didn't get in God's word as long as I want to this morning. It happens to all of us, even to pastors. We can miss it sometimes. But we all need a fresh word from God every day. Why? Because we're living in new times. We have new needs. We have new challenges. Many of us feel like, no, I'm kind of living in a desperate time right now. Where is God right now? God's still there. God's where he's always been. 
We need to get right with God. Look at verse 2 we just read a minute ago. It said, After 20 years that the ark had returned, all the house of Israel lamented. You know, the, the, the house of Israel was desiring to see God. They realized things weren't right. Maybe we've been waiting for a long time too. I want to share with you this. Lamenting is not going to get it by itself. Weeping is not going to get it by itself. Having an emotional outpouring is not going to get it for itself. There's only one thing that's going to get it right. It's returning to God. Samuel is going to tell us here how to do that. He tells us in verse 3 how do we connect to God. Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the Asherahs from among you and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve Him only. He will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. The Israelites were concerned about the Philistines. I want you to hear this. Isn't it interesting that when we have an enemy or have a situation in our life that is desperate, we return to God? I want you to know the Philistines here represents anything in your life that just won't go away. Anything in your life that causes you to be irritated. Anything in your life that causes you to be troubled or concerned or live in worry. Samuel had a word for the nation of Israel. He's telling them, return to the Lord. But more than that, you need to let go of your idols. You need to come back to God and serve Him, listen to this, only. I think we probably all remember back. Youngsters in the room today maybe just had this lesson. But we studied the solar system when we were in school at a young age. Remember there was nine planets? Remember which which planet was the furthest away? Pluto, right? Pluto was the farthest planet from the sun. If you were to go to Pluto, you'd freeze to death because it's so cold. Because Why? Because it's furthest from the sun. It was a long, long distance. Mercury, on the other hand, very close. If you were to travel to Mercury, you know what? You'd burn to death. It's so hot there you could not survive the heat. All these planets are in the solar system. They're all part of the same system. They're all part of the same body of planets. But there's a difference in their proximity to the sun. If you're a believer, we're all in the same system here. We're all in the same solar system here. We're all part of the same body. But you know what? Some of us might be Pluto Christians. We're a little bit further away. Others might be Mercury Christians. We're a little closer. Our relationship with Jesus Christ fits and sits in proximity. How far away from I? How close am I? Then you might have those Christians, those people that are believers in Jesus Christ, they're kind of seasonal Christians. Well, this season I'm kind of close. But this season over here, I'm more like a Pluto. I moved closer. I moved farther away. God desires for you and I to stay close, to stay hot, to be used of him in a powerful way. Why? Because our hearts are hot and on fire for him. Samuel says here, the ark is returned. You know, a lot of Israelites realize, okay, finally, God's back. You know, just the fact that the ark got returned to Israel is now in the temple didn't mean that God was back. The box was there. A lot of people today feel like if I go to church every Sunday, I'm back. I'm with God. God's in me. No, I'm sorry to say. That's like going sitting next to that box, the ark of the covenant, for a while. I'm thinking, God's in me now. 
I got this relationship with God. It doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. Verse 3 said, if you, Samuel says, if you return to the Lord, well, how do we do that? He explains very carefully in this verse how to do that. He says, put away all the foreign gods and the Asherah from among you. What's he saying? Put away everything else that stands in the way of me having a full, complete, priority relationship with God Almighty. I want this relationship with God. I want this relationship above all else. It's very easy to see if we're living that kind of relationship. You say, well, Pastor, how can you tell? Because, man, i got a different heart. I see the world like God sees it. None of us will ever be perfect. There's only been one man that walked this earth that was perfect. But you know what? It needs to be a growing, perfecting kind of relationship. Every day I get closer to God. But I know that I've got an ongoing, growing relationship with God because my life is changing every day. I'm not the same man I used to be yesterday. I'm definitely not the same man I was when I got saved. God is growing me. I'm becoming the man that God wants me to be. And I'm loving and seeing and living in the world with the heart of God Almighty through Jesus Christ. When we remove the foreign gods, and it says right there in the scripture, when we serve God only, you know what happens? He answers our prayers. He shows up. The prayers of a man of iniquity will not be answered, the Bible tells us. It's truly, truly a heart issue. I want you to know this. The enemy's battlefield is your mind, and his objective is your heart. The enemy wants to control your heart. He wants to harden your heart towards people. He wants to harden your heart towards things in this world that he loves. He wants to blind you. He tells us in 2 Corinthians, the God of this world has blinded the hearts of unbelievers. God desires to blind believers' hearts too. Why? Because we get so immersed in the world. We've been over so far to embrace the world that we've fallen in. And so our vision gets skewed. Our vision gets confused. Our vision gets blinded and dizzy. We don't see the world like God sees the world. Remove the foreign gods. Remove the idols. Well, let's define idol for just a second. Maybe that's a problem. You may say this morning, Pastor, I don't worship a golden cow. You know, I don't worship the sun. You know, well, do you worship your schedule that excludes God? Do you worship your family that excludes God? All those things are good. Every once in a while, we don't just need to pull out weeds from our life, but we need to pluck a few roses out of our life too. Good things. Why? Because we're missing the best thing. Because I have all these good things here. I want the best. God wants the best. What is an idol? It's an unauthorized source that you use to address your needs. An unauthorized source that you use to address your needs. What is that unauthorized source? It's an idol. I think God can fix this. I think, you know, I'm so depressed, I'm going to take some pills. I'm so depressed, I'm going to drink some alcohol. I'm so depressed, I'm going to do these things. I'm going to go this way. I'm going to trust this. Over and over in the nation of Israel, kept trusting other gods, other nations. He said to God, God said, I'm right here. You trust me, I'll deliver you. They would not return to God. The moment you bring an unauthorized source to meet your need, you know what happens? You take God out of the equation. Why? Because you put someone else there. You cancel the true living God's involvement. Samuel says you need to go to God and go to him first and alone. 
This is very important. God has an exclusivity clause in his contract, in his covenant. Him and him alone, first. Our God's a jealous cause, God. God has a non-complete, non-compete clause in his contract as well. God wants to be God in our lives, and we're not. You know, the reason maybe we're not seeing the presence of God like we want to, maybe the reason that a church might not see the presence of God like we want to, it's because we come to church on Sunday morning and worship him, put our hands in the air, we sing and listen to the word, and hey, that was a pretty good word, or didn't really like the pastor's sermon, or I got a Sunday school great lesson, whatever it might be. But on Monday morning, we're a completely different person. Totally different. We don't really ponder or think about God until Saturday night, maybe Sunday morning. You know, most people want God's blessings. Most people want deliverance in the things in their lives that they need deliverance in. But they don't really want the blesser. They don't really want the redeemer. You know, I know he's up there. I'm giving him the credit for it. But, you know, I don't really want him. I just need the blessing. I want this blessing. And this is huge for our church. This is huge for the churches of America. This is huge for America. Out of return comes deliverance. Do you hear that? It's when we return to God, he delivers us. It's when we give it all back to God. When we put him first in our lives, we get the deliverance. We're not going to get a deliverance in America like we all want. I believe like most of us realize God could do until we return to God. Until we realize that God is first. And we begin living like it. We begin acting like it. We begin walking in obedience like it. We begin praying like it. We begin worshiping God like that. Worshiping God every single day, every single hour of every day. Thank you, God, for the sunrise. God, thank you that I got to work safely this morning. I'm worshiping you, God. Praise God because other people get killed driving to work in the morning. But God, you got me here safely. Thank you, God. Worshiping God. It's when we return that God delivers. It's not the opposite way around. Many people want the delivery. Many people want to have God's blessings, not the blesser. You know how I know that? When people get their blessing, you know what? You don't see them anymore. When they get their blessing, they move on. When God delivers them, they get kind of moved back to their life as usual. They don't have that experience of a lifetime of praising God because He delivered me. I had cancer and God healed me. I almost had an accident and God healed me. My child almost died and God healed my child. You know, that's worthy of praising the rest of our life for. heard an interesting illustration a while back. If I walked up here the very first time in this pulpit and said, Hey, I'm the new pastor. I'd like to have somebody volunteer and come up here and take my shoes off and wash my feet. You'd probably all look at me like, That guy's a little crazy. And then you'd all say, No. I don't blame you. Why? Because I had not garnered or earned your desire to do that. Jesus Christ died upon that cross. What has he earned in your faithfulness, in your obedience? If Jesus Christ asked you to do something, would you do it? Absolutely. Why? Because of what he did for me. He earned that. He didn't do it to earn it. He did it upon that cross because he loves you. 
We should do it because, because he loved me first, I love him too. What he has given me in my life, I want to serve him with all I have. Because of the way he lives my life and the way he walks with me every day, because he's provided for me all these years, because he's delivered me through so many things, I want to serve him with everything I have. I want to return to him and get close to God Almighty. I want to live in the umbrella of the Almighty. I want to live under his wings. I want to live in the grace that he's given me. I don't want to do anything in my life to keep me from receiving the fullness of God's grace in my life. I don't want to miss what God has for me. I want God in my life. Verse 4, look at that one it says. It says, that, So the children of Israel put away the Baals and the Asherahs and served the Lord only. They realized what they needed. I don't know if we don't realize today what we need. We may never realize what we need in America. We need God to deliver America. But it begins in me and it begins in you. It begins when we ask God that I can return. God, I want to put away everything in my life and serve you only. You may have either seen the movie or read the book, Lilies of the Fields. I have a story about an atheist businessman that goes to a little town and sets up shop and begins operating there and meets all kinds of people. And it's about the relationships there. But then he finds out there's a bunch of nuns building a new section of a cathedral. And so here this atheist goes out and helps those nuns. One of his buddies that knew he was an atheist came by one day and saw him over there just sweating away and laying bricks and working as hard as he could and moving things and went up to him and said, Hey, you're an atheist. What are you doing this for? Why are you helping this church? His two-word answer, just in case. Just in case I'm wrong, okay? Just in case. You know this whole thing with idols in America? It's just like that. It's just in case. I believe in God. I want this relationship with God. I have a relationship with God. But you know what? I need these things over here too, just in case. That was what the Israelites were all about. Just in case the Israelites didn't show up, uh, did God didn't show up, just in case the Israelites realized, you know, he can't do it. And they over and over they did that. God can't save us, so we're going to go establish a relationship with the Assyrians or the Babylonians or with Egypt. Over and over. Just in case God doesn't deliver us, I'm going to spend some time over here with the Assyrians, the gods of Baal. Verse 5 and 6. It says that Samuel gathered them all at Mizpah, and they prayed to the Lord together. You know, as we gather in a church to pray, I'm praying that you've entered in praying. I pray that you enter this church more excited than you left last Sunday. I'm praying that you're excited to see what God has for you, expecting God to show up in your life. Praying. Be still and know that I am God. Unfortunately, I believe the enemy uses busyness in our life to take our relationship to another lower level. Imagine this, how often we pray, but do you find yourself sometimes hurried in the time of prayer? Samuel gathered the nation, the nation of Israel together and prayed. I love this picture that Scott showed us about the football team. And all those fans running out to pray in the middle of the field, gathering together, stopping the whole world. I'm sure they all had things to do, go, they're waiting for rides, out for pizza, whatever it might be after the game. No, we're going to stop right now and be still and know that he is God. Verse 7, let me read that to you. And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. 
You know what? The devil came to steal, kill, and destroy. Anytime we get serious about God, you know what's going to happen? It's going to get the, the enemy a little nervous. Satan's going to get a little nervous. When Israel got serious about God, they had to deal with the enemy. Verses 8 and 9, we see Samuel came out and he cried and God answered because the people had returned. One of the ways we know that with the psalm assembly there in verses 9 is because the prayers were answered. God answered their prayers. Return and tell God what you want him to do. God will send some confusion into your enemies' lives. When we return to God, you know what? God handles all your enemies. Why? Because you're fired up for God and he doesn't want anything to get in your way of serving him. He's going to clean house for you. Will you still have him come against you? Will he still try to take you off course? All you need to do is say, God, I'm giving you my enemies here. I'm putting them in your hands because why? Because I'm not just like Nehemiah. I'm not coming off the wall because I'm doing a great work for God. I want to live for you, God. Look at this blessing in verse 11. I love this. It says, And the men of Israel went out to Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as below Beth Car. You know what? At one point in the story, they're cowering there. They're cowering and worried about the Philistines coming. This verse right now, you know what happened? They just switched from being on the defense to the offense. The enemy was no longer chasing them. They're going out there and chasing the enemy. What an incredible story. What a beautiful picture there. Just like David when he ran to Goliath, he didn't go up there and cower like the nation of Israel. He walked out in that field. He knew that God was in control. He also knew that he could hit that, that uh, giant's forehead because he had a big forehead. I'm good with a slingshot. But he realized that God had already killed that giant. God had already killed that giant. Listen very carefully. God has already killed the giants in your life too. He's just waiting for you to stand strong, to return to him and do what he's called you to do, to walk in obedience. Will you say this morning, Pastor, how do I walk in obedience? I'm not really sure how to do that. Well, begin reading your Bible. When God says to do something, do it. The greatest form of worship is to hear God's word and obey. Here's the best part of the story right now. There's a double blessing here that God gave the nation of Israel. They returned to God. They said, God, I'm putting away all these foreign gods. I'm returning to you, God. And God heard his prayers, heard the prayers, and he got rid of the Philistines to the point where they were no longer chasing the Israelites. The Israelites were chasing the Philistines. But this is powerful. And I don't want you to miss this because many of you probably have lives like this and you feel like, you know, I don't know if I can ever move past my past. I don't know if I can ever get over this. God answered their prayers. But God gave the nation of Israel something they hadn't even asked for. Look at verse 14. And this is huge. This is powerful. He said that then the cities where the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath. And Israel recovered its territory from the hands of the Philistines. Also, there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. You know what this was? God gave them something that they hadn't even asked for, something that they hadn't even thought about. He took care of the Philistines, but listen to this. He went historical on them. What does that mean? He gave the Israelites surrendered territory, territory they lost behalf. He gave them back their past. We no longer have that city. Yes, you do. You got it now because God just gave it back to you. How many times do you and I need something in our lives to be restored? Something in our lives we feel like, man, I just wasted so much time. I had so many years that I just lived in sadness or depression or loneliness or hopelessness. God, I want those back. God will give them to you. 
You live today like you lived all those years for His glory. God will give you your past back. God will give you the things that you and I can't get on our own. God desires to show up in our life and show off. It's very powerful. God went back and got territory, got things that they'd lost before, and restored them. We, we, we serve a God that desires to restore and renew and refresh. When we return to God, He not only answers our prayers, but God goes historical in our life as well. In Joel chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts had eaten. God wants to restore your months, your years, your days. He wants to restore your relationships. He wants to restore your opportunities, your territory. Whatever it is, God desires to return it to you. I love what it says in Ezekiel. That God shows the nation of Israel, I'm going to make it better than it was in the beginning for you. Really? I want to say about this. Maybe you're in a relationship today. Maybe you're in a financial quandary. Maybe today you're in a relationship quandary. Maybe today you're in a career quandary. You're not really sure. God wants to make it better for your life than it was at the beginning. Why? Because he's God and he can. Because God wants you and I to give glory to him because of what he's done in our life. We need to return to the Lord with all our hearts Then put away the foreign gods. When Christ returns, the question for you and I is, is he going to find us faithful? And Jesus Christ is coming again. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. You and I have a purpose. Before we were formed in our mother's womb, God set you and I apart for such a time as this. It's time, it's past time for you and I return to the Lord.